Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro, D-R-O. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast, the podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Today, we are talking to Coach Sadi Washington. Sadi is currently an assistant coach for Coach Dwan Howard at the University of Michigan. Coach Washington is entering his sixth season at Michigan. Sadi has had the pleasure not only to work for the reigning National Coach of the Year, but also Coach John Beeline. And after 10 super successful years working for Greg Campy at Oakland, Sadi was offered a position by Coach Beeline. Wait till you hear Sadi talk about the hiring process at Michigan. Very cool insight ahead. After a Hall of Fame playing career at Western Michigan University, Sadi played seven years professionally overseas. As soon as the ball stopped bouncing for Sadi, he knew he wanted to coach. However, as you will soon find out, Sadi is not only a coach, but a teacher, whereas he is also a mentor of men. And does he ever mentor? Today, we are all going to be mentored by Coach Washington. This is 60 Minutes for one of the most elite assistant coaches in the country. Get your notepads ready. This is high-level perspective and some incredible advice. I can't thank Coach Washington enough for his time. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Enough of Coach Dro. Let's get to Coach Sadi Washington and tell his story. Real quick, before Coach Sadi Washington's story, I need to tell you about my affiliate partner that I've been supporting since episode one. That friend, Desmond Ferguson, the owner of Moneyball Sportswear. Check out MoneyballSportswear.com. Let me tell you about the gear that Moneyball produces. Men's, women's, boys, and girls sports attire. Hoodies, sweatshirts, t-shirts, shorts. You name it, Moneyball has it. Get all your fall gear ASAP. Truly, what are you waiting for? And if you are a high school and or AAU coach and you need a new set of uniforms please reach out to moneyball the uniforms that desmond and his team create are simply spectacular go to moneyballsportswear.com shop away enter the promo code dro d-r-o in the coupon checkout grow with us moneyball the only way to ball sadi why do you coach well dro let me first say i appreciate you uh, being patient with me, you know, and getting together and allowing me to have this conversation with you and share my story about why I coach. I think that is really kind of evolved and it's been multifaceted why and how I got into coaching. But I would say initially got into coaching because of people like my father, Javier Cavazos, Ernie Boom, Mike Major, Bob Donawald, and all the other men who poured into my life as a youth uh, and as a young adult and, you know, teaching me this game that I love and showing me 
you know, and building character and, and all those things that we associate with trying to build young men uh, in this game that we call life. You know, the, the other layer to it, Joe, is, is also that when I was coming out of college, I didn't have a lot of professional mentors as it related to what it meant to make that transition from college to pros. And so, you know, throughout my career and throughout my life, I had been told by numerous different people that, you know, that I would make a pretty good coach. And, you know, I think initially I thought that that was just kind of what people would say about you and, and whatnot. But what I came to understand is that coaching is much more than just the X's and the O's. It's about mentorship. It's about leadership. It's about accountability. And my college coach, Coach Bob Donawal, you know, he told me some very true words that I, in my freshman year, that I hold on to even to this day. And I'm constantly citing that to our players. What he said to me was, so I guess let me set the scenario a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of injuries in my freshman year on our team. And our best player at the time, Leon McGee, Mm -hmm. uh, got injured and was out, you know, pretty much for a good chunk of the year. And I, I played and started as a freshman. And I remember Coach Donawal, we, I think we were at Ohio U, as a matter of fact. We were on the road at Ohio U, and he called me into his room the night before the game. He said, listen, I'm going to make you a captain. He said, I've never done this before with a freshman, but I'm going to make you a captain. And so then he talked about the responsibilities that that meant was that being a captain isn't always going to make you the most liked guy on the team, but it will make you the most respected guy on the team. Mm -hmm. And so that really like stuck with me and resonated with me. And I, and I took that responsibility seriously. So saying all that to say, I didn't have, you know, kind of the, the mentorship of, you know, being able to look up to someone who I knew personally who had made that transition from a college student athlete to a professional athlete. And so once I got into my college career, I mean, my professional career, I was like, man, you know, like, you know, maybe I could do this thing. And, you know, we all talk about giving back, but just being the sounding board, being, you know, kind of that bridge from a young man's uh, process from being in college and then transitioning to professionally, that was something that was very interesting to me. And so once I decided to, you know, go down this path and run that race of being a coach, or as I like to say, a teacher, because mm -hmm. uh, I really think of myself as a teacher. We're in the arena of, of higher learning, right? And so we wear so many different hats in what we do, as you know. And so I want to be able to just be a resource for the young people that I, and I come into contact. And then lastly, honestly, I find myself drove like, coaching younger coaches at this point of my career and right. so being able to give back to the game in that way and and helping usher in you know a new wave of coaches and sharing uh whether it's you know preparing for interviews to getting the job to you know just bouncing ideas off of off uh, and getting better at our craft those are all, you know, a lot of the reasons why I am coaching ultimately is to leave a legacy in this profession. Talk to me a little bit about your dad. You just mentioned your father at the beginning. What kind of impact did he make with you in sports when you were growing up? Man, it, it was a huge one. My father, if you know my dad, he is like Detroit through and through. He, he wears that badge of being from the deep. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, he always talks about his time at, at Northwestern High School, as he likes to say, the big N.O. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, he's a Spartan. So he and my mom are both Spartan uh, graduates. Is still very proud of his time there. And, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to see him play live, obviously, but uh, my dad was like a high level athlete. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like there's a there's a picture at our house back home in Lansing where his head is literally at the rim. Wow. And like, he's six, four, like he's six, four, mm-hmm. you know, probably was like a, a small forward, but, uh, all his friends and all the people who watched him play before always talk about his athleticism and the way that he just approached the game with his tenacity, his competitive nature. And that, that really drove me and, and got inside of my DNA. Growing up with two other brothers, uh, it was always competitive in our household. Mm-hmm. So um, he really just set the tone for us in terms of how important athletics was in terms of shaping, you know, that part of our life. And he and my mom were very much sticklers on the academic side of things as well. Yeah. But he had a tremendous impact in terms of my athletic endeavors. So you mentioned Western Michigan. I did have the opportunity to watch you play in college <laughs> and you were exceptional. Actually, my wife was there at the same time. So she has many side. Washington basketball story. So obviously a Hall of Fame playing career at Western Michigan. You mentioned Coach Donna Wald. You know, you played a major part in NCAA win as a player. Then you had seven years, as you mentioned, professionally overseas, a product of Lansing Sexton High School. I want to touch on Lansing in a second. But when did you yeah. really fall in love with the game of basketball? You know, I believe I fell in love with the game at a very early age. I mean, it was the dog days of summer. Uh, in Lansing, going up to Wainwright Park, that was like my Rucker Park for me growing up. Like that was the mecca. It was the, like the local school park near my house. And at that time, drove the young fellas. We had to go up to the park at like twelve, one o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon in the summertime because come around four or five o'clock, that's when the old heads used to get up there and push us us young guys off to the side. We had to go to the side courts and the side baskets, and we would just watch them play. Like, we would just watch them play for hours and hours until it got dark. And, you know, I always dreamed of, like, all right, I couldn't wait till I was old enough to play on the main court at, at Wainwright. And it really sucked because it was, like, off the court was, like, kind of, like, right off of a side street, but it was always high traffic. There's a lot a lot of stuff going on and one day somebody in the neighborhood just poured paint all over the court. And it really like it basically just like kinda shut down the mood of the court for, you know, times after that. So long and story short, people stopped going up to the court and took the baskets off. And I never really had my time to like be one of the older guys mm. to play on the main court with the older kids. So, but I still love the competition and still remember the days of just going up to the park, whether we were playing football, whether we were playing basketball, baseball, whatever. That's when I fell in love with the game. You know, the city of Lansing, you know, the Thomas Twins, the Ingrams, the Valentines, the Brent Scotts, the Saudi Washingtons, do you ever think about that city? There's been some great talent. I mean, you, you're talking about the Brent Scotts of the world, the Low Ways, Kareem Washington, my older brother, Kerry Simmons, who was probably the nicest dude that 
nobody has ever heard from outside of Lansing, but this dude could like, uh-huh. he was a hooper. So, you know, just going to games and looking up to those guys, that's, that's what really drove the fire. And then when you talk about the legendary coaches that have come out of there, Doug Herners, you know, Rod Watts, who a lot of people know. Yep, for uh, sure. Now, who I mean, Watts, who, when I was like a teenager, Watts was like coaching under Joe, uh, Chris Ferguson and guys of that nature. And the city was just, was just loaded with talent. You had to kind of look, like you said, you had to get in where you fit in. And most recently, uh, Mike Ingram. I got to give Mike a lot of credit. He was just inducted into the B-Camp Hall of Fame. But Mike has been a, a coach at Lansing uh, Community College for many, many years. But man, he opened his doors to us like all the time as high school kids to be able to come in. And those honestly were some of the best runs in the city uh, at that point, uh, no, second for real. floor gym. Like we would, man. We would we would go up to Michigan State. We would play over there. Right. We would play at LCC a lot of the times. But you know, it was just like guys just got in the gym and they played, and they. It wasn't a lot of like what you see now, right, with the trainers and the the workout guys and stuff like that. No, you got better by playing and competing, and that's that's something that I think you know, the the newer age guys are missing out on a little bit is just that that spirit of competition. Sadi, what does Greg Campy mean to you? <laughs> Campy is just the straightforward, in your face coach who has been doing this thing for, you know, he's been a head coach for over thirty some years, probably been in the game total for probably close to 40 years. Right. But, you know, he, he's the one who gave me my first college experience. Mm-hmm. I credit Nate Oates for giving me my first coaching experience when I was his assistant uh, at Romulus High School for a year. Campy came along at a time where, you know, there was a lot of transition on his staff at Oakland. It was success in, in the brink of a lot of consistent success. But, you know, he really is a great basketball mind, especially on the offensive end. He gave me me a lot of latitude in terms of growing as a young assistant coach mm-hmm. uh, because if you know campy like he wasn't he's not a micromanager at all like, right you gotta you gotta figure some stuff out on your own mm-hmm. him allowing me the opportunity to come in and learn from him and then also uh, use that as a platform to be really just be able to share and and teach what I had learned as a player myself and giving it to our young guys. We had some really good years in the 10 years that I was there at Oakland. Uh, He was just a tremendous, tremendous role model for me early in my coaching career. So you're entering year six at the University of Michigan. I want to start with Coach Beeline first. What does John Beeline mean to Saudi Washington? Coach B is is the ultimate CEO. You know, he gave me the opportunity to coach at a high major. What he really did, Drew, was he instilled in me that you can be successful and do things the right way, regardless Mm -hmm. of the level, regardless of where you're at. And for that, I've been eternally grateful to him because I think sometimes guys can get lost in the sauce in this profession, trying to like get the next big recruit or, you know, you start compromising or cutting some corners. But Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that makes coach beeline so good at what he does is that he's extremely organized. He really put inside of me the power of of film watching. 
mm. and, and growing and, and learning uh, because it's not just about what you can give to the student athletes, but how also that we learn and grow as coaching. And so we watched tons and tons and tons and tons of film. And at first, you know, as a young, I'm like, man, this is a lot. But, <laughs> you know, as you, as you, as you sit under his tutelage, mm-hmm. you understand why he has had the success that he's had in his career. Time for a quick 30 second timeout. Coach Sadi, man, is Sadi so good. Getting this podcast to you is all because of my friends at Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You also get a great-looking podcast website. They provide audio players that you can drop into other websites. They give detailed analytics to see how people are listening. To start your own podcast, follow the link in my show notes. Let Buzzsprout know that I sent you. You'll get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And this also helps support my show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. How awesome was it that he gave you the opportunity to coach the team in Europe during his absence? It was a complete honor, Drew. I mean, obviously, the, the circumstances surrounding it were unfortunate. And it sucked. First, I even told him, like, Coach, I don't, you know, like, your health is is way more important. And I don't know if this is a good idea for us to go Mm. uh, without you. He was pretty insistent that, one, that we still go, and two, I'd be the one to lead the team over there. And so, you know, I, I still remember sitting in my office when he called, and I was like, wow, okay, like, this is really about to happen. I had had an experience before at Oakland where for you know, a couple week period, like I was in charge and, and Campy had to uh, take some time off. From a preparation standpoint, I felt comfortable and confident mm-hmm. that um, I was prepared to do the job. And we had an incredible staff no uh, doubt. at that time as well with uh, DeAndre Haynes and Luke, Luke Yaklich, as well as uh, guys that you've interviewed before and, and Brian Smothers and, and Chinadu and, and Chris Hunter. So that experience of being able to plan out practices and, you know, structure, you know, those 10 days and, and leading up to you know, what we were going to do in order to be prepared. And we played a really, a pretty high level schedule. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as well. And <laughs> so, so, I mean, like we play some really good teams. Yeah. And, Coach Beeline scheduled um, up in Europe. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. What it taught me, Drew, was that you got to trust your gut. Yeah. Right. When you're, when you, you know, move those six inches over from making suggestions to making decisions. It really taught me to trust your gut. It really reinforced that I was prepared and had a good understanding of how we did things and being able to prepare a team for a season. You know, I looked at it as like a mini season. And so I had fun with it, that experience and being able to sit in that chair, call timeout, draw up plays, you know, make game time adjustments. I, I, I really had fun with it. You know, I think, you know, as a result, it helped our team get ready for the the big picture of the season. We had a tremendous year. Yeah, for uh, sure. Year, and um, I, I was I was excited about it. So now we move on to the national coach of the year and Juwan Howard. <laughs> what have you learned from Coach Howard? Man, like he is an incredible connector of people. Mm. Like I say this all the time, I say Coach Beeline was famous, but like Juwan is like famous, famous. <laughs> and, I, and I said that respectfully but it's like you know every kid every kid's parent and most of the kids 
have some frame of reference to the Fab Five, right? Right. And he's like the author of the Fab Five. Like he was like the Pied Piper. He was like the first one mm-hmm. to, you know, commit. And then he was instrumental in pulling in, you know, the other four guys in that class. And the other thing, Joe, what was kind of cool for me was that being under Campy and being under Coach Beeline, I was walking into situations that had already been running on autopilot they were already successful right so and even though i was a holdover it was still an opportunity for me to see from a lens of how you walk into a brand new situation and starts from scratch essentially you know for for coach Jawan. and so what i tried to do i tried to be kind of like that bridge between the old and the new uh, for our players and for our staff. Uh-huh. And, you know, working with him, it was incredible that with all of his success, with all, with his stature and with, and with everything that, that he means personally to the University of Michigan, from day one, he was like, listen, guys, if this is going to work, we all got to put our egos to the side. And when you hear that, it sounds good on uh, in theory, right? but it, when you walk it and live it and breathe it on a day-to-day, that was a big secret to our sauce in terms of how quickly we were able to transition from one regime to the next. And then I would say the other big area that I've gotten from Coach Juwan from a leadership standpoint is his mentality of being solution-based. Mm. And I, I say this because, and you know, Joe, like after a game, you didn't play well or you lost or something doesn't go well. And you have those those sessions as a staff where it's just like, right. You know, <laughs> this guy isn't doing this and this guy isn't doing that. And we're not good at this and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, we started in on having one of those, those sessions in year one and he just stopped the meeting. And it was like, listen, we know what the problem is. Like I need solutions. Wow. Give me solutions. And uh, it was like a aha moment. High level me. leadership there. Mm-hmm. It was a high, aha moment for me. And it, it completely changed the way that, I approach those kind of situations in terms of, like, let fellas, let's stop talking about the problems. Let's start talking about and thinking about the solution. And when you have that mentality, you you just come at it at a completely different way. You know, everyone talks about Coach Beeline being this mastermind offensively, and obviously, if you you know you work for him and the practices and the detail in terms of fundamentals and shooting. Mm-hmm. But one of the things with Coach Howard, and I think I watched every game last season, I almost find you guys are unguardable. <laughs> and it's and, and obviously you have great players and they play with confidence. You know, I had this conversation with Coach Stan Heath. Now I'm with the Fred Castro with the Eastern Michigan women's team and I'm having a blast. And but I see Coach right. Heath all the time. And Coach Heath and I have these wonderful detailed conversations about the G League and the NBA and the philosophy mm. and then trying to incorporate that to college. And I always tell Coach Heath that I feel like unless you've been at that level, like you can study it. We can watch Mav games mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the Spurs. But if you lived it and then bring it over, it's just it's almost just so different. And I just feel like the wrinkles and the counters and the add-ons, like it's really, really hard to scout you guys. Yeah. No, I, I you're right. And um, it, it's one of those things, and I shared this with Coach this summer, is like, man, you, you really – helped me grow as a coach because, you know, I've been under this college umbrella my whole career. Right. Right. And then you, you have individuals like 
Coach Juwan, Coach uh, Howard Isley, who come from the NBA Great and player. had very successful coaching uh, careers there. And it's just, they just they just came with a whole new lens. And, mm. you know, there's a different way of doing this thing. And right. if you got a bunch of high-level dudes in the locker room, some high IQ basketball players, then there's a different way that you can do it. And so I think that, you know, in the college game, everybody's trying to, like, mimic one another. There's a, there's a lot of copycatting, mm-hmm. right, and in, in, in how you go about business and how it should be. And, you know, you got to teach this, or if you don't teach this, then you can't do it in the game. And he really blew all that up for me because, like, Coach Juan is, like, high-level basketball mind. And I'm sure Stan would tell you this, like, ATOs, Yep. Late game, you know, scenarios are like that. That's a big deal in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And so, no, you don't have to necessarily practice those things day in and day out. But like if you got guys that are really locked in, you can execute some of those actions that they seen sometimes for the first time or certainly uh, not as often. It's not a part of your regular, you know, B.O.B. or S.O.B. Uh, or late game action and you, and it can help you win games. And so I'm like, wow. Okay. Like, cause for so long, it's like, all right, if you don't practice this, then you shouldn't be trying to do it. Well, I, I don't know that I totally believe that at the same level that I did before. And obviously there's some truth to, you know, who you are at, at the core of your program, but then there's some, some other things that you can do that, that makes you really tough to scout, as you say, mm-hmm. um, so that you can kind of keep your opponent off balance. From a, from a scouting standpoint. You mentioned Coach Howard said checking your ego at the door. You have this amazing staff. Obviously, Howard Isley and Howard and I go way back. He obviously played for my college coach and Perry Watson and then Coach Martelli. I mean, National Coach of the Year, <laughs> but probably one of the most down-to-earth human beings you'll ever meet. And then you guys have this amazing support staff. But I always felt like the staffs you've been on, you've had this amazing symmetry. For younger coaches, what are some keys for assistants to be on the same page? Uh, well, I, as I mentioned before, you you have to check your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, like we're, we all have egos, right? Like if you're a competitor, if you have been and excelled at something, you like you have an ego. Yeah. But it only works when we're all running in the same direction. So if it has to be about you or if it's always got to be your idea or you're always trying to take credit for, you know, things that are going on or, I mean, if, if it's, if you're in the staff and you're trying to, you know, hard sell your recruit over the next guy's recruit, well, it's not going to work. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's about the team, right? Mission, the team, the team, the team. Yeah. That's what we preach. That's what we live. That's part of our DNA. And so if the tone is set at the top, it was set there with Coach Beeline. It was, and it certainly has been set there with Coach Jawan. So that first and foremost has been a big part of our success. And, you know, you mentioned with Coach Martelli, we call him the legend. <laughs> and I mean, he, he, for somebody who's been doing it for so long, and I didn't know Coach Martelli very well coming in, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's one of those guys that, now, you would never know that he had all these accolades behind him because when he came into the office, he was like, hey, what can I do to help? How can I help you? Where do we have to go? Like, you know, it was like it really was like it rejuvenated him again 
you know, of his younger self. I can imagine young Philly uh, 26 years ago getting into the game and, and the energy that he brings to the table each and every day. Uh, has been great, and he's been a tremendous resource for all of us in terms of his knowledge of the game, uh, just his perspective in life, his perspective in the profession. And so we got a staff full of givers. Right. And, you know, from Jerron Simmons to Mm. uh, Jay Smith and Chris Hunter, I mean, like our support staff team is incredible, and that's why it works because the players players can feed off of that type of stuff. So if if there's not synergy, as you mentioned, amongst the staff is going to trickle down into the locker room. And so, you know, that's a big part of it. And then just being willing to share, mm. uh, being willing to share information, being willing to share ideas, because again, at the end of the day, it's not about you individually uh, as a coach. It's about the team. John Borovich, Northwestern assistant, he told me you are the greatest listener that he's ever been around. How did you develop this skill? You shut up and listen. <laughs> like, There's power in listening, right? Like, I always say that I am a professional gatherer of information. Mm. And you can only do that if you shut up and listen to people and take interest in somebody else other than yourself. And I was listening to one of your interviews earlier today, and I think it was DJ. How do you say his last name? Mosini. Mosini. And he said it perfectly. Like, The players don't care uh, how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. And that's 100% factual because, like, it can't be us barking and talking and preaching and and going at them all one way. Conversation goes both ways, right? In order for me to pull and get the most out of a young man, I got to know what's going on inside his his head. And more importantly, I got to know what's going on inside his heart. Because I was sitting and this really became clear to me one day. I was I was at my daughter's uh, gymnastics banquet, right? And one of the senior young ladies was doing her, her speech, her senior speech. And she said the most profound thing that I had heard come out of a young person. And she said, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And I was like, wow, like that's high level. That's high level, right? And but but it's so true because, you know, our young people are going through so much and so much is coming at them, whether it's in the classroom, uh, on the court, at home, through social media. You know, mental health is is real. And so we always say, you know, just just let me know what I can do to help you. Well, sometimes helping somebody is just letting them talk. Right. And, and, And from there, you can gather the information to either point them in the right direction or provide the right resource in order for them to be successful. So I just try to shut up and allow people to talk and share what's on their heart. What is culture to Saudi Washington? I believe culture is the, the values and the daily habits of which you, you know, build your program around and in which you live by, you know, it's culture is, is, is what you do in your life. We're all creatures of habit. Right. It's really kind of like I put it this way. Right. Like if you're in a fight. Right. And you're in this alley and (laughs) your back is against the wall. Your culture is going to come out of you. Mm. Right. So your culture, your habits, what you've trained up until that point is going to come out of you, either good or bad. And you're either going to get dropped in that alley 
or you're going to fight your way up out of that alley. Mm. But it's those daily habits of the time that you put in, the practices, the film work, you know, the studying that you do, all those things that you can't fake when things get tough, when you meet adversity, when you really got to lean on what you've been preparing for. And so we fight tooth and nail every day to protect our culture. Like mm. nobody's going to come in our locker room that's going to destroy our culture. Like we, we recruit based off of that. And, you know, one of the things that Coach Beeline, when I got the mission, he said, listen, like, all right, like, you know, recruiting is going to change for you because, like, everybody wants to be at Michigan. Everybody's not a Michigan man. Right? And I was like, okay. Like, but as you get into this and, and you understand, um, that's real. And so there are a lot of talented individuals across this country who want to be a part of our family. But I know that Coach Juwan is very, very intentional about the young men and the families that we recruit into our program. And I think it's that uh, that mindset of being intentional to our culture, that mindset of being intentional to, you know, who can sustain and who can live up to the habits that we try to live out every day. That's that's part of what is going to make us successful. How long has it taken you to develop your coaching philosophy? You know, Joe, so I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, right? And every time you ask this question of trying to get it to one or two sentences, <laughs> I think no one has been able to just answer this in one or two sentences. So I'm not even going to try to answer this in one or two sentences. It's just an honor that you but, listened. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's great. It's great. It's great stuff. It's great listening. But I would say it's been 16 years in the making mm -hmm. of developing my coaching philosophy. And guys that you've interviewed in the past have, have mentioned this before. But it, it, for me, it's really being invested, right? Because right? we're in the human development profession. It's about the people. Wow. And so when you invest into the people, then the people will want to reciprocate and want to, you know, run with your vision. I believe my, my coaching philosophy really boils down to three parts. It's humility, having a clear, authentic vision, and then having fun. You have to be smart enough to know that you don't know everything. So you have to surround yourself with, with really high quality people, right? And being able to bounce ideas off of people. And, you know, we even do it with our players. Like, listen, we, we, we don't, we don't know everything. So like we're, this is a, this is an environment of being able to share because you're out on the court and you're playing, right? And you may see something that I don't see from the sidelines. So let me know. Or even at practice and drills, you know, I, I'm famous for, you know, especially when we break up into our player development. Guys, what do you guys want to work on today? Mm. Because my plan might be different from what they want to do. Right. You know, they might be struggling in some areas that I know that we want to get better in. And then you, we all got to be able to pivot. Right. And so having the humility to say, you know what, I didn't invent the game. I'm not trying to reinvent the game, but being smart enough to know that that we have to share information. But then, you know, also having a clear vision. And so whether you're in the leadership position of being a head coach or even sitting in a seat as an assistant coach, like our ideas, our suggestions have still have to be clear of what we want to get done to our players and also the suggestions that we make to our head coaches. Being able to articulate that in a way that's authentic, that's clear, I think is, is easy for, for people to run with. And then at the end of the day, like we're playing a game, 
right? Like if you can't have fun, then why do you do it? Right. Like, uh, and I think that that's been the thing that in these last couple of years, especially being with here with coach Juan, like we work hard, but we play hard too. And this environment (laughs) where we're together so much, right? Like we're together a lot working and spending a lot of hours in meetings and practice and film sessions. Like you got to carve out time for people to have fun. It has to be, it has to be a balance. That's how I would describe my coaching philosophy. Six NCAA tournaments, four sweet 16s, two elite eights, one final four in a national title game. Sounds pretty fun to me. Mm, mm, that sounds good. And, and counting. And counting. Bro. Oh, yeah. we add that? And counting. Why do you really think though teams win? I think teams win because they figure out how to go from a coach driven team to a player driven team Mm. and teams that are able to really have a buy-in factor are the teams that do well. And the the other thing that's, that's really huge for us. And I think that that's, again, all the great teams that I've been a part of is uh, their ability to enjoy the next person's success. Like if it's again, if it's always about you, that's what we talk about ego or being ego less Then sports like you need to play individual sport. Mm. Right. Because one night is going to be your night. The next night, it'll be my night. The next guy is going to be the next guy's night. But like we play a team sport. So if we're not happy for the next guy and for his success. And if you're the guy that's running to the locker room and, and want to look at the stat sheet to see what you did, I think that's a bad recipe. And the, Squads at Oakland and at Michigan that I've been a part of have always been player team driven. You mentioned position group. So obviously you did a great job with the guards at Oakland, K Felder, numerous players. <laughs> I mean, at Michigan, you worked with the bigs with Coach Beeline. Mm-hmm. Now you're playing a massive role with the defense at Michigan. Like, how important is it to be a versatile coach? You know, I, I think it's critical, especially if, if whether you're in game or not, is to be a head coach or not. I, I think that if you're really serious about your craft, then that should just be part of your DNA anyway, right? Right. Like, Coach Beeline made me a better coach before I even worked for him. And I tell the story all the time because about halfway through my career at Oakland, year five or six, openings came on his staff. Mm. And I thought, man, this is this is my time. I'm gonna finally be able to make that next jump. Uh, I, I had a relationship with Coach Beeline. And so I thought, you know, from that standpoint, like things will go well. We had been having success at Oakland. So there was, no reason for him to think that I couldn't do it on the, on another level. But lo and behold, he ends up hiring Bakari Alexander and Laval Jordan. Mm-hmm. And those are two friends of mine in the profession. And you know what? Like, as disappointed I was for myself, I was happy for them because they had finally gotten their opportunity, you know, to shine, you know, come back home yep. and, and coach at that level. But I tell that story to say this. The major reason why he didn't hire me at that point was because he wanted somebody who had experience coaching post players. Right. And at that time, I just I only specifically coached the perimeter guys at Oakland. Right. And I was like, wait a minute, like I'm a basketball coach, like I can coach anything. Mm-hmm. But again, I had to be humble enough to say, you know what? He's right. He's right. I haven't. I've never coached post players. And so, what did I do? Like that following year and that summer, 
Jeff Tungate gets elevated to uh, be the head coach for Oakland's women's team. And I immediately went to Coach Camp. He was like, Coach, I want the bigs. Wow. And he looked at me. He was like, are you serious? I said, I'm dead serious. I want the bigs. Because in, in my eyes, I was like, okay, this opportunity or some similar opportunity is going to come up again somewhere down the line. And I don't want this to be a reason why I don't get hired in the future. And so fast forward, you know, six years ago, when Laval and, and BA uh, got their head coaching opportunities, it came up and I came in and I interviewed and I told him that. I told Coach Beeline, you may not hire me, but I, but you made me a better coach. <laughs> but in retrospect, it challenged me, right? It challenged me to get outside of my comfort zone, to grow in my craft and you know, things worked out and my Michigan experience has been tremendous. And a lot of that has to do with coach Beeline. And then, you know, with, with the transition of uh, coach Juan coming in and allowing me to, you know, really put eyes on the defensive side of ball, like draw, I've been spoiled. Like, I'm not even going to lie. I've been spoiled because I've been able to work with a lot of highly talented people uh-huh. and I'm not just talking about head coaches I'm talking about assistant coaches John Borvis, Jeff Smith you know Darren Sorensen Drew Valentine Brandon Weems Billy Donlin learned a tremendous amount from Billy Donlin great coach Jeff Meyer uh, Luke Yachlis DeAndre Haynes and now Marte- coach Martelli and Isaac like I've been able to have a front row seat of, of a lot of really really talented guys and I've just you know, pull what I can from each of them and I just grow and I just use that as an opportunity to grow in my craft. Well, that really speaks volumes to you because you obviously were a great player, you know, and many great players think they know it all. So for you to, you know, sit back and listen and take it in and learn from everyone, that's a true credit to you. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. Thanks for sharing. That's really, I think that's really, really helpful for young coaches. Thank you. Plus you never know, right? When you get that call and something happens to your head coach and you said, Hey, like, you know, yeah. I need you to, to lead the team, you know, and but but you got to get as you say, you got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And so that that really has been my attitude uh, throughout throughout the year. One of the things, one of my observations when you were at Oakland, it wasn't fun recruiting against you. A, you seem to know everyone in the state. You had a great relationship with everyone in terms of coaches, high school, AAU, junior college. And the other thing, a few times we went against you when I was at Eastern Michigan on the men's side, you were always visible and you never missed games specifically in July. Just two small things. And I'm sure at Michigan, it's at a different level and maybe just a little bit different in terms of how you approach recruiting but throughout your 16 years you know what are some simple tips for young coaches when it comes to recruiting be honest and be consistent Mm. right like i think too often in our profession people try to fast talk or oversell what they can do as assistants as a program and but the reality is not that and so I've always been a guy who undersold so I can over deliver. Mm. Right. And so you, understanding that this is a huge decision for this young man and his family when they're, you know, deciding which trajectory they're going to take with his career. Right. And so not being honest with people, not being consistent in how you go about who you are as a person. I think hurts our profession. And so I hope anyway, that if you would ever talk to any of our 
the former players that I've coached or even uh, the current guys that they would say, man, you know, Wash was the same dude who, you know, showed up at Pershing High School the first day we could come out recruiting to <laughs> last <September> week <laughs> when, you know, yeah, to September 6th or, or when he called me yeah. while I was in China, you know, where, that's where Kay is at right now. While I was right. in China, you know, a, a week ago. And so I think that if you can, for, for without overcomplicating it, be honest and be consistent. You know, I always wanted to ask you, and this just speaks volumes to you. So you brought Wagner in on a visit and you didn't have a job or you were still kind of in between <laughs> a job at Michigan. I had a job. Okay. Technically. Yeah. But you weren't sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just think it's remarkable that you went all in on a player, that you had a relationship and the staff did, but you guys didn't really know where you were gonna where you're gonna end up. Like walk me through that process. Wow. So, you know, May thirteenth, I think it was, was the day that Coach Beeline May thirteenth, twenty eighteen was the day that Coach Beeline announced to the world that he was going to resign at Michigan and take the head coaching job at, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But nobody, what people didn't know was at the same time that he was calling us to let us know that Franz Wagner and his family were getting on the plane mm. in Germany and flying to Ann Arbor for his official visit. So if you can imagine the the shock right. of that moment, I think it really kind of sets the tone of, all right, you have a decision to make, brother. Like, do you have a job or not? I don't know. Technically, yes, I was still working for the University of Michigan. Right. And, you know, this was a very unique situation because the Wagners are family. Right. With you know, having Coach Mo, and you know, for two years, and and he, I think, was in his, I don't know, his first or second year in the NBA, and so his family was coming over and was like, "All right, man, like we had this plan of what we were going to do, you know, on that visit." And ironically, uh, Mo was in town that weekend because there was a charity event that he was also going to be a part of, so that actually helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you, Dro, when when Franz and his family got off the plane, <laughs> it was kind of like, hey, you know, <laughs> we don't have a coach. <laughs> yeah, we don't necessarily have a coach, but hey, we're glad you're here. It was either get into survival mode and start getting on the phone and trying to figure out if I had if I have a job and possibly find the next job, or say, you know what, just take a deep breath. Let's all recalibrate after what happened. Let's try to give this young man the best experience he could have on his visit. And so we kind of flipped the the weekend around where we went. We were supposed to go to a really nice nice dinner the second night, but I was like, you know what? Forget this. Like this is this is a celebration of Franz and Mo and their family being together. Let's go to dinner tonight. Right. And we had a great time just talking, catching up. And really, that was our first time spending significant time around Franz because um, their parents had always come over back and forth to watch Mo play. But Franz was playing back with Alba. So we, we never really had that experience. So long story short, when Franz got here on that Friday, he was probably it was probably 90 to 10 that he was going to go back to Germany and play professionally. 
by the time that weekend was over, I think, you know, the staff and, and myself, we had got it probably to like 60, 40, where, you know, he was probably leaning more towards staying in Germany, but was willing to listen to see who actually got the job. And, you know, I, I give Coach Juan a lot of credit. Like, as soon as he got the job, it was full steam ahead on Franz. He went over, watched him play, and, you know, fast forward. You know, three years later, the kid is a is a lottery pick, and so it worked out. Yeah, great example of professionalism right there. That's pretty cool. So your personal social media posts every morning, I check. Okay, there's about four or five guys for numerous reasons. Just personally, I'm always looking for great, highly successful black role models for my son, for my son to emulate me to try to help him become a successful young black man. But mm-hmm. So you're a massive family man, okay? So your daughter's a gymnast at the University of Pittsburgh. Your son's blossoming to quite this this athlete. And the few encounters I've had with him, he's such a nice young man. Um, mm-hmm. You and your wife, credible relationship, you know, go on these amazing vacations. How do you create this wonderful balance? So I got to give a lot of credit to my wife, Shannon. She is like, she is the head coach of our family. And I think many, many coaches in, in in our profession will credit their spouses or their significant others with that because she is she's one she's just a high level person mm-hmm. uh, she keeps us grounded our faith in God and you know our, our relationship with God helps us in that in that way as well and just trying to be the best examples of, of you know living a Christ-like as we can. I will give Coach Waters, Coach Gary Waters, a lot of credit on the vacation. So (laughs) um, I don't even know what year this was when, you know, we were at at an event in July. And, you know, like Coach Waters, like he is, like if you spend any time around Coach Waters, like you're going to become a better person. For sure. Right, because he's always dropping jewels. He's always dropping nuggets all the time. So we were sitting at a game, and he's like, "Hey, uh, when's the last time you've been on vacation?" And you know, I, I I don't know. I was it maybe had been a couple of years. He said, "Listen, young fella, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you this advice. You have to take your wife, you have to take your family on vacation every year, mm. every year." And I'm thinking like. Wait a minute, coach. Like, I'm not making your kind of money. Now, right. he said, no, 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 no. Listen, we worked too hard and they sacrificed too much. So you basically said, just ball out at your level. Like, whatever that you can do. <laughs> take your wife, take your kids on vacation every year. And I followed that advice ever since then. And so we try to get away as a family and unplug, turn off the phone. It's helped me personally and obviously professionally to be able to find that balance. And and now, you know, the, like you said, my daughter's away. And she's a freshman at Pitt, uh, doing really well, trying to figure it out what it's like to be a student athlete, manage time. You know, it's, it's a big adjustment. And, you know, we're five years away now. My wife and I, we kind of joke about it, but at the same time, it's serious. Like my, my son is an eighth grader. Yeah. And we're five years away from being an empty nester, right? And so, you know, just being able to spend as much time as I can with him, being able to pour into him. And I applaud you. And I, you know, I watch you and I watch your relationship with JJ. And it's it's incredible. It's awesome. And, you know, I look up to you in a lot of ways that you're able to 
you know, pour into your son, you, you and your wife and, you know, uh, raise him with love. And that's special, man. And, and so we're all in this together. For we're sure. all in this together. We're all trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, I applaud you and your wife for, for what you guys are doing with your family as well. Much thanks. I always end the podcast and you know, what are some simple <laughs> tips for young coaches? Well, tip number one, listen to tell me your story, coach. <laughs> Got to listen to to your to the podcast. But no, seriously, I would say be your best version, mm. right? Like, again, like there's a lot of copycats, in my opinion, in our profession. But God made one of you. God made one of me. And it's our, it's our responsibility to give the world that. And so, yes, you want to, you know, emulate and take pieces from people that you look up to and that you respect. But there's something that's unique to each and every one of us that the world needs, that your, that the program needs, that your family needs, that the, the young people in your program need. So like be that person. I have a, a note in my, in my desk. It says, remember who you are. And I, I look at it periodically so that I don't forget who I am or where I came from because I have something that's unique to me that 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 the world needs, and so that's kind of how I look at life. Second thing I would say: grow in your craft. You can never you can never have enough knowledge in getting better uh, personally or professionally. And so, whether it's watching film, whether it's reading, whether it's listening to podcasts, whatever you can do, uh, going to practices, whatever you can do to kind of. Um, keep yourself fresh, keep yourself motivated, do those things so that, again, you can be the best version of yourself. And then I would say, finally, just do things the right way. You know, we have we have a responsibility as men and women to protect the integrity of the game. Right. And the only way that we can do that is just do the next right thing. And so, again, that's part of leaving a legacy. That's part of leaving your impact on this game. And so I feel like if coaches can do those, you know, those three things, those are things that I try to live by daily. I think we'll all be able to enjoy this game that we say we love for a long, long time. Well, Sadi, I'm so thankful you gave me 60 minutes. So generous of your time. And I've been on you for a while, but I I had to tell your story. (laughs) If I would have recruited this hard, I would have got some more players from Earth. And I knew you would help so many young coaches today. And I truly, truly love everything about you as a person, as a coach, as a husband, as a father, as a man. I'm so proud of you. It's just an honor to be your friend. You know, obviously rooting for the Wolverines this year. Don't tell DJ up at the Spartan land, but you know, rooting for you. And, and I, I truly, truly, it will be one of the greatest days of my professional life when uh, you do become a head coach one day. So and I know that's very soon. So thanks again, Sadi. I really, really appreciate this. And I appreciate you, Joe, for, for giving me the platform and allowing me to, to tell my story and, uh, and all that you're doing to grow the game, to grow the individuals and to grow the people. And uh, much success to you and to your family. I appreciate you, brother. I love you, man. This is so awesome uh, what you're doing. So thank you. All right, Sadi, go blue. Go blue. (laughs) Thanks, Sadi. That was a great conversation with Coach Sadi Washington. 60 Minutes with one of the top assistant coaches in the country. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that Sadi Washington will be a head coach here very soon. 
Do everything you can to reach out and connect with Coach Washington. As you just heard, Sadi is so humble and so genuine. On a personal note, and just about everyone knows now, I'm a white man raising a black son alongside my incredible wife. Sadi Washington is for sure an amazing role model for my son to emulate. Sadi, you mentioned your father at the beginning of this podcast. Your dad has to be so proud. You are for sure an incredible professional, a loving husband, an inspiring dad, and simply an elite man. Thank you, Coach Sadi Washington, for sharing your story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you are currently listening. And we are everywhere. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Kevin Mondro. Stay safe. Be you. Keep coaching. And see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast.